Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Santa Barbara, California, where we are still kind of in quarantine land, right? Um, COVID cases are going up, certainly in L.A. Uh, we're about an uh, hour and a half north of L.A. and, uh, well... Um, it seems like a lot of the people from LA want to move over here right now because we're not quite as bad and there's plenty of space to walk around. But it is what it is. The uh, COVID thing continues to define 2020 um, and um, redefine sort of uh, our economy and, and the way we do things in general. Before we begin with today's content, I want to remind you that there are a number of resources available for you over at wealthformula.com. Uh, check those out. One of the things you can do there is to join our accredited investor group. Uh, all you have to do is go click on investor club because who doesn't want to be a part of a club? It's a good question, right? Anyway, this is where the magic happens. If you are an accredited investor, uh, this is where you join the network, you go through our onboarding process, and then you can potentially participate in some of our private offerings. But if you are not accredited, you are not allowed to do this, unfortunately, which I'm sorry. But it gives you something to, you know, gives you something to uh, aim for, some trajectory that you want to get to, right? Listen, that sort of takes me to today's uh, show topic which is average sucks. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Well, we'll get to that in a minute, but let me take you back here because let's start with this notion that be careful of what you wish for, lest it come true. That is uh, Aesop's fables. And this is what that makes me think about. You see, back in college, I remember, you know, every day, running over to the mail center my senior year, hoping to receive an acceptance letter to medical school. I'd applied to some, and, you know, I was really excited about it. And I had romanticized the idea of being one of those heroes in a white coat. You know, I had really fallen for this, um, you know, romantic idea of the doctor, you know, the ER shows and all that kind of stuff. You know what? I got what I wanted. I got into medical school. I was really excited I was going to school in Chicago, uh, driving over there from my parents' house in Minneapolis one August uh, for orientation. I remember listening to a news show. It was actually National Public Radio. Why I was listening to it, I don't know. Okay, all right, fine, it's fine. 
I was listening to National Public Radio, and there was a famous neurosurgeon on who was being interviewed. That famous neurosurgeon happens to be, oddly enough, the HUD secretary now, and uh, I know, it seems kind of a little wacky. But anyway, I heard this famous neurosurgeon on National Public Radio, and I had really never contemplated the idea of neurosurgery, but I'm listening to this show and probably like a lot of listeners, completely intrigued with this idea of this, you know, this brain surgeon. And the interviewer asked him a question. She said, how did you know that this is something that you could do, something that you could be, you know, a neurosurgeon? How could you, you know, how did you have the guts to to know that you could do this? And the funny thing is the question, he, re, he responded to this question in a way that was kind of a, a little unusual. He said, well, you know, when I was young, I excelled in, in sports that required hand-eye coordination. And he said, like, you know, foosball or table tennis. Anyway, I just suddenly woke up and I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I am, I'm really good at table tennis. In fact, we call it ping pong. And, you know, being a brain surgeon sounded kind of cool. So I'm sitting there driving in the station wagon uh, over towards uh, Chicago. And there I decided in that car that my goal into medical school was to become a neurosurgeon. So the next step, the next dream was neurosurgical residency training. And that would be no small feat in the world of medical school because it's pretty competitive. Now, I was pretty hardcore in medical school. And not only did I get that neurosurgical training position, but I also got into the program of my choice, which was even harder because it was a very popular program. Um, and I got to go there with the mentor that I envisioned being there, who was the chairman at the time. And along the way, when I was, uh, you know, in medical school, sort of pumping away, uh, you know, just, you know, studying and studying and studying, I even realized that I kind of like neuroscience. So the whole endeavor wasn't, well, it wasn't entirely for my ego. I actually started to like the stuff. Anyway, two years into neurosurgical training, a stark reality came to light. And that reality was that I don't like being woken up at night. That, my friends, is a big, big problem for a neurosurgical resident. At the time, we didn't have these rules, you know, limiting 100 hours per week, all that kind of stuff. It was crazy, crazy. Um, you know, I was I was on call fairly frequently. And when I was, I was getting woken up every night. You know, I, I was getting woken up every night. I was in Michigan. I was, there would be, uh, you know, I'd get a beeper would go off and they'd say there's some snowmobilers being flown in from the upper peninsula. There's brain trauma. Okay, so you got to stand by. And what I realized that while my fellow neurosurgical residents, you know, usually you'd be on call with the senior resident at that time. While they seem to get this massive adrenaline rush and get super excited, I realized that, you know what? I'm just kind of tired and cranky. I don't really feel super excited about being Superman and drilling through somebody's head in the middle of the night and then going on and operating the next day. More power to you guys, because I know some of you are neurosurgeons out there, and, and I really appreciate what you do. Somebody's got to do it. 
But for me, I wanted to sleep. I wanted a life. And that was not going to happen the way I wanted it to, at least, if I was going to continue down the path of a neurosurgeon. So, uh, PGY2, I quit neurosurgery, decided to switch into a surgical specialty that did not involve the brain. So I became a head and neck surgeon, also trained in facial plastic surgery. And that was in San Francisco. And at that time, frankly, with that, you know, that change, you know, I was a surgeon. I liked operating, but you know what? I really wasn't that inspired. I continued to write academic papers at a feverish pace because I got recognized for it. But my heart just was not in it. And by the time I finished training, I was really just going through the motions with no passion at all. I just really just didn't care. Now, if you had told me that, if you'd told that kid back in college, you know, the one who was going to the mailbox to see if he was going to get into med school, if you told him that not only was he going to get into med school, he was going to be finishing a surgical tra- training program at UCSF. Uh, University of California, San Francisco, which is in in medicine, you know, it's it's a very prestigious place. That college kid would have been absolutely thrilled and saying, oh my gosh, I must be so happy. That is awesome. But I wasn't. Mm, So the question is why? Why wasn't I thrilled? Why wasn't I super happy? I guess the idea of an accomplishment or sort of an upgrade to a certain kind of lifestyle is usually better than the achievement itself. The idea is better than the achievement itself. And so one day you're living the life that was once your quote-unquote dream or whatever you want to call it. Shouldn't you be happy? Well, you might not be. After all, what you want in life is dynamic. It's dynamic. It's constantly changing. So every time we get into a certain place in our life and, and, and we make these long-term goals and we start working toward them, what we realize the goalposts are constantly moving with them. And by the time you get to that goal in life, you've already moved on to the next better thing, or at least the thing that you get to doesn't seem like that big of a deal anymore. So I think it's sort of inevitable to one degree or another for most people um, you know, to have some degree of this. I'm not saying that everybody's dissatisfied with their career. I know a lot of surgeons who love it. They just want something else in their life. They can't figure out what, you know, in that regard, the extent of dissatisfaction is, you know, it's variable, but the need to grow and to be better in one way or another is always there in high performers and people who are really good in school or good in business or whatever. You know, you, you, so you, if you are feeling like you are one of those people, guess what? You are not alone. And I'm sort of the extreme example of that, right? I mean, listen, I stopped practicing eight years after surgical training. Eight years after training, I did four years of medical school, four years of college, and eight years, uh, Um, what, four years of college, four years of medical school, and then eight years of surgical training. Uh, So 16 years for a eight year career, basically. All right. So that, that, that was me. And the thing about it is that there's a lot of people like me who say, well, gosh, I did those 16 years of training and now, well, I can't do anything else. Right. I mean, well, you kind of feel stuck because you just did all this. I mean, you, the last thing you're going to do is say, well, I'm going to quit and move on and do something else. 
Some people really want to do that. Some people don't. Anyway, I, I personally have found a, a better fit for myself uh, in the entrepreneurial world and, and you know, education in this podcast and all the real estate I'm doing. But, you know, to be honest with you, and the reason, one of the reasons I'm doing this show uh, today is because I am just like everybody else. I am still trying to fill perceived needs all the time. I mean, I have, uh, you know, reached a number of my goals and, and, um, but that doesn't mean that, uh, there isn't, um, you know, some sort of, uh, need or desire to be somewhere else or to have other things in, in your, in my life. In fact, um, I have to tell you my latest decision and I sort of had, um, alluded to this in well formula network at one point, our, uh, our private network, which you can join at wealthformularoadmap.com, by the way, uh, in, uh, that I was thinking about getting into the luxury real estate business, um, like the residential real estate you know, business in my area. So that's very different from anything that I've done, right? I have been obviously in commercial real estate. We've got, gosh, we've probably got 700 billion dollars worth of assets under management and investor club through our group. Um, you know, so real estate is not new to me, but this idea of like luxury rent, you know, luxury residential real estate, uh, well, it was kind of a new idea for me to potentially get involved with. So here's where that came from, right? Um, it certainly wasn't about, you know, another ploy to try to, to try to make money. Although I, I mean, Listen, I'm not stupid. I, I want to make more money. Of course, they do. But the, the amount of I, the amount of money I currently make um, that is essentially time independent makes just about anything else that I do that requires my time uh, probably not to be a great economic decision. But you know, not all decisions are financial, and in for me, this is what it came down to. Right, I need to get out of the house. So for the past three years since we moved to Santa Barbara, I've barely left my house. My work's online, you know, or, you know, there's the podcast fear. Sometimes, uh, you know, I go a whole week without seeing anyone but my family. You know, I'm sitting there underwriting real estate or, you know, recording a podcast or reading and not leaving the house. So what happened? I gained weight. I let my beard grow out uncontrollably. As you can see, if you're watching me right now, I'm nicely, cleanly shaven. So I do look about 10 years younger as well. Uh, you know, and, and you know, I, I just really wasn't, I was, I was starting to feel kind of slothy that I was sort of missing something in my life that wasn't creating energy. And for me, that's interacting with people. Every time I go to our Wealth Formula meetups, I feel super energized, you know, and I wanted that kind of feeling again. So when I realized this, the old saying about choosing your profession based on what you do in your free time, that crossed my mind. And clearly it was a little late for me to get involved materially in the National Football League, which is really how I spend a lot of my time following and reading. But the other thing that I spend a lot of time doing is you know, being on Zillow or truly or whatever, looking at luxury homes. Cause I am a big fan. I love looking at the architecture. I love, you know, yeah, you know, just, just the different things about these homes. It gets me excited. And so putting all of this together, I thought, well, all 
all right, well, if I'm doing this in my free time and it'll get me out to interact with people and, you know, do something that I love, maybe I should do it. It just made sense. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not feeling comfortable with this new identity so far. Uh, right now, I'm the new guy who doesn't know very much. It's a humbling experience um, that I haven't really felt for, for over the last you know decade or so, just you know doing my own little, little learning my paperwork stuff and all that, and stuff I just don't do anymore. But I joined a group that's super nice, and they're making it a lot easier. But anyway, sometimes radical change serves as a nice shock to the system to make you feel alive, right? Listen, I feel like, you know, this is not something that um, I think is, you know, I think I, I was working pretty efficiently already. So, you know, maybe I'll be working a little bit more, but hey, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to get me out of the house. I think it'll be energize me. And sometimes it's that radical change you need to do that. So who knows? Who knows how this decision is going to play out? Um, you know, we'll see. But anyway, in the meantime, if you want to buy a house in Santa Barbara, Montecito, let me know and I can help you out. I can hook you up. Anyway, this idea of feeling restless in your skin is something that is common enough that my friend Michael Burnoff wrote a book about it. It's called Average Sucks, and you are going to hear all about it after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is a friend of mine who uh, we met uh, together uh, at uh, Genius Network, Joe Polish's group, um, a few years back, and we've kept in touch. He's been on the show before. His name is Michael Burnoff, and uh, Michael is uh, an interesting guy. He, uh, you know, he got called out for not living up to his potential when he was younger, and it bothered him. But rather than shrinking from the challenge, he chose to set up to step up and solve a problem he saw in the personal development industry. And that quest led him to develop human interaction technology, which moves society forward through the power of communication. And then he founded Human Communications Institute, which is dedicated to creating rapid and lasting change in people's lives. He's worked with entrepreneurs, athletes, executives, Fortune 500 companies. He offers courses, 
You used to offer live events until the current uh, pandemic <laughs> and leadership training for those who want to achieve life beyond limits. Michael, welcome back to Wealth Formula uh, Podcast. I'm glad to be here. I even just love the name and, and example, Wealth Formula. Who would not want to spend time with Wealth Formula? That's a subscribe right there. Boom. Well, there it. you go. And and that's the that's the interesting part, you know, because we also a uh, little uh, a little funny thing about, uh, you know, Wealth Formula is we have this investor group, right? It's for accredited investors. Uh, and it's hey, just, that's me. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. You're an accredited <laughs> investor. Uh, and if you go to the website, you just see something that says investor club, right? And so while, you know, a few years back when I first got into the business of, I guess, raising capital and, and doing syndications and the things that I do now, um, I first I was like, well, how, how do I tell people about it? Well, why don't I just start by putting up uh, something on the website that says Investor Club? And boy, oh boy, people join left and right. And it occurred to me, who doesn't want to be part of a club? Yep, <laughs> true. Especially a club that not everybody can join, right? Anyway, yeah. it's turned out great for everybody involved, but uh, a club with a great name. It's like nobody would want to drink the, like the Drink Water Club, but this no, is the no. Investor Club, right? Yeah, yeah. the Investor. Even club. though we all should join the Drink More Water Club, but yeah. Good Water, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, Michael, you wrote this book recently called yeah. uh, "Average Sucks." It does. Yeah. Well, let's start with this question um, for you: uh, What the heck is average, anyway? It, it's it's interesting you say that. So I wrote the book and I. I wrote it knowing that two things were going to happen. People stop me all the time and they're like, hey, dude, they wear the shirt that says average sucks. I got the license plate. And it's usually wealthy people that say, damn straight, average sucks. You're right. And then I, I turn around, I go, I'm glad you believe that, but do you know what it means? And they're like, oh yeah, it means be better than everyone else. And it's the guy in the Lamborghini, the Ferrari, the Rolls Royce, because I live in Scottsdale, where that's just, I guess, how people think is above average. And I said, do you know what it means? They're like, well, no, I, I thought it meant that. I said, here's what your average is. It's you. And they say, well, what do you mean? I said, every one of us has an average in life. We have an average amount of times that we um, work out. We have an average amount of times that we spend time with our kids. We have an average amount of average in our bank account. We have an average of our returns on our investments. Everyone's got an average in their life. And if what you want in this world is different than what you're doing on a regular basis, you have an average that is not the one you want. So as investors, all of us know, like you have an average return you get in a year and it's probably similar to last year unless the market did something very different. Right. So in terms of, of, of really what we're talking about is, you know, average means not growing. Is that, that's kind average of- Average is your automatic. I mean, everyone has like, the craziest thing is, so when I went to write the book, I had a challenge writing it because I had an average. I wasn't an author. So I couldn't write this damn book because speaker Micah is trying to be an author. My average was speaker, coach, trainer was never author. So I'm like having a challenge with this book. So what average is, is who you are and what you do automatically regularly without anybody questioning anything. It's what you get up and do on a regular basis. So if you got a podcast for 10 years, it's your average thing you do. Before you started it, it was outside your average. So what's really fascinating is most people don't know that you know that feeling you get when you're, do you remember being in high school when you had to ask someone a prom and it's like you got the uh, feeling or yeah. you're scared or yeah. uh, you've got that feeling like I used to go to New Jersey, Action Park, this cliff dive you want to do off the edge of a bridge. It's that feeling you get before you do something. It's not really stepping outside of your fear. It's that that is the end of your current average. So your mm -hmm. average is everything you would do automatically and everything else is outside your current average. So why does it suck? 
it sucks because it's not really what you want. It's totally fine if it's great. Like if your life is perfect, congratulations, you've built an automatic average that's wonderful for your life. The challenge is, is this. And Buck, I ask you this question. How tall are you? 6'4". Okay, I'm 6'6". Six, six. Nothing like height issues with like, you know, we're both, we're both tall, right? Which is yeah. great. How tall do you play your life? Because a guy asked me that when I was younger and I, he goes, I go, I'm 6'6". Six, six. He goes, you act like a guy that plays 5'11". How big do you play versus your 6'4"? Do you play 6'4"? Do you play 6'2"? I think I play 6'4". Okay, I play yeah. about 5'11 to 6'1 of my life. And what I mean by that is I still don't give it everything I got on a regular basis. Oh, I see what you mean by that. You get you get it. You, you play the part of a 6'4", but compared to like, if you remember when we were kids, Michael Jordan was the man, and we all looked up, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, or Wayne Gretzky or whatever, and or Warren Buffett. Imagine what you could do if you played your full version of you. And that's what average sucks is about is have you given all, and I don't mean hard work. Have you played the full version of you? The, the, um, at some point, and this is the tricky part, right? Michael, which is if you look at all people who are successful, uh, I mean, we have, I mean, for example, on this show, there's a lot of physicians, a lot of, you know, Yep. People who've trained for many years and that they've wanted to be who they are yep. for many, many years. And then they get there and all and of a sudden boom. that, you know, hey, I'm here. And aren't I supposed to be super happy and excited? That's why I wrote the book. <laughs> what, happened? what happened? What so, happened? Here's what happened. And this yeah. is why the book took me. So two reasons the book took me long to write. Mm-hmm. First reason, I'll tell you later if it comes up. Second reason was. I work with thousands of doctors, thousands of lawyers, thousands of business people, people in politics, the wealthy, successful, quote unquote, Beverly Hills, Pasadena, um, New York, New York, Hamptons. I'm just giving you wealthy neighborhoods. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That are, that are better off than most places with Tesla dealerships and Rolls Royce dealerships. And these are wealthy, successful, happy people. Here's what happened, Buck. It was simple. One day in your life, do you remember before you went to school for what you were doing originally, do you remember saying to yourself, listen, I'm not going to play small in life. I'm never going to play small. I'm going to go play big. Did you ever say that to yourself? Uh, I, I, I think, I think for me it was, um, okay, I'm going to medical school and I got to medical yeah. school and I said, you know what? Um, it sounds like the hardest and you know, coolest thing would be to be neurosurgery. So I went neurosurgery and got into wow. neurosurgery. Um, but then what happened when I got into neurosurgery was I liked it, but then I started to be like, damn, these hours suck. Suck. And I moved away from it uh, because so, I didn't want to be there. Yeah. So, so I'm going to stop it there. And I love, I love what you're saying, but so what happens is people in their life say never again. So like I watched my dad drive back and forth from New Jersey, from Morristown, New Jersey to Tito every single day for like an hour. And I'm like, no way I want to do that life. So I said, that's not for me. Everyone in their life says to themselves, never again, never again. Am I going to settle financially? Never again. Do I want this college debt? Never again. Do I want to settle for this average relationship? Never again. Do I want to be fat? Whatever it is. And you really mean it. And you say never again and in a split moment. You go, but this is what I want. And you don't really think it through. So you're 25 years old, 27 years old. You get out of residency, right? Mm-hmm. You, you said never again. Am I going to be average? You make a big plan for yourself. The problem is you didn't realize how good you could be. So you just wanted to be better than where you're currently at. So you're like, I just want to get to where I have a million dollars, which was a really good idea 10 years ago. 
The problem is in a split moment, emotionally, we make a decision of what we want to do with our lives over relationships, health, money, and we get pissed off. We say never again, and we build a new future for ourselves and we build what's called a new average. And here's the funny part. What I don't want, what I do want, what I don't want, what I do want. We don't actually get all that we want. We just get way better than we used to be and we forget to upgrade ourselves. And this is what most people do. We box ourselves in to what is a beautiful life compared to our 25 year old self. And we're 43 with three kids and uh, a white picket fence and a $1.7 million home making $800,000 a year. I'm just using random numbers. And we're like, wow, this would have been great before, but where the hell's my money? Where's my time? The reason is it's what you wanted then that you didn't take into consideration where you're going to be. So this is what average sucks is about. It's not about the overweight broke guy that or girl that can't figure it out. It's about the guy that finally got what he wanted. And is like, what the hell? I'm not where I want to be. You have an average. That's not the one you want. Well, it's, it's starting to sound like one of those, you know, Greek paradoxes, right? Um, <laughs> so then, which we all studied in school, right? Right. Which, you know, you just keep splitting it and splitting it and you never get there. Um, what I mean, so so what's the solution? I mean, how do you how can you possibly as a I mean, I can tell you personally um, and I wish it were the case. That I finished residency at 25 or 26. I was 34 years old because I was a surgical uh, resident. You took a different profession. You yeah. weren't just being a standard medical that, professional. No, you wanted the surgical. creme de la creme. Well, yeah, I mean, most medical students are going to finish it around 26 and then they got to do residency. So they're going to be usually at least 29, 31. Yeah, they're going to be, you know, close to 30. But I was, you know, I went the route of uh, cruel and unusual punishment um, and and then quickly quit thereafter. But <laughs> but um, so so if you have the situation where you're if you can't I mean, listen, now and I don't think it ends it when you're 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 25. I mean, I, I think I am a little bit different in that, you know, I, I have pivoted several times. Uh, for better or for worse, because, you know, I, I was, a, you know, I got there, I was an academic, I was publishing bunches, and then I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and then I was in medicine, and then I started other businesses. And the funny thing is, I am starting something totally new right now that's out of my comfort um, yep. for the first time. Uh, and uh, it feels totally weird. But I will tell you this, that I don't know that you can, as a 25-year-old, project out all of these things that happen in your life and all the successes and failures and then figure out, you, you, can't. Know, you know, so so what do you do? So this was our plan when we first grew up. So I grew up middle class. How'd you grow up? Do you grow up middle class? Uh, upper middle class, probably. Okay, you're the rich kid. What, what, what city did you grow up in? Where are you, where are you I, from? I'm from the mini, uh, Minneapolis suburbs. Okay. So you grew yeah. up in the suburbs. I've been up there a ton. I do business with Lifetime Fitness. Mm -hmm. um, so what happened is... Um, what happens is that when we're kids, we grow up middle class, the majority of North America over the last, you know, 30 years or whatever it is, 40 years. And what happened is our parents always told us work hard and be a good person, which is a really good plan up to a point. So most people want to get out of their current situation by busting their head through the wall, pushing, seeing how they can get through it. There's really like three ways. One is we got to grow. And number two is we got to ask for help. And that's what most people aren't willing to do. They just think if they work harder, they're going to get there. And that's where the frustration kicks in. This is where the doctor tries to uh, work harder, do more hours, push more people, open up another center. And they, and they don't recognize the simple scenario. So you said it perfectly. And this is not in the book, but I wish I would have put it in. 
most people are stuck where they're at because when they go to change, and I watched this with Corona, they go back to their pre-business person. They try to start over from the beginning again. And they don't ask themselves this question. Like I'm 42 now. Like what does a 42 year old do? That's an author now that sold, I don't know, 10,000 books in a couple of weeks that um, has hundreds of thousands of clients all over the world that speaks on great podcasts spoke to a million people. What can that guy do? And most people don't up level their image to themselves, what I call their identity. And they forget that they're farther along. So most people don't say, wait a second, how good of an investor can I be as a doctor that is now, done surgery procedures for 22 years. That's got a practice that's paid off the building if they own one, right? That owns my equipment now that's leasing nothing, that all my debts paid off. I got three kids, college is paid for. What can that guy do? And most people do not ask the question from that person. They don't, they look in the mirror and they make decisions from like a 12 year old boy or girl instead of actually who they are now. And I will tell you that is almost everybody on earth that I meet with. Part of it is, uh, I think that when you're, you know, when, when you're, when you're in your forties, uh, as I am, I'm 46. Yep. Um, young. Oh, thank you. How old are you? 42. Oh, wait. Yeah, there you go. See, 42 is young. 46 is yep. All right. 46 is like what? Four years. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. You can have it though. You, you stay there. I'll stay here. <laughs> but, uh, when, when you're 40, when you're in your forties, the world appears much smaller in, in some respects, you're right. You already have tremendous amount of success, right? You, you know, and, and for me, um, part of my, you know, ongoing challenges have been because the goals that I had initially set out are, you know, I've done them. And so I'm trying to, you know, scratch the itch that I'm missing. Um, but I will say that when you're, you know, when you're a kid and you say, I want to be, uh, you know, I, I want to grow up and be a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. It's truly possible for you to grow up and be a professional athlete. Um, for me right now at 46, it is no longer possible for me to be a professional athlete in something that, you know, that requires me to be much of an athlete. And so my point is to a certain degree that, you know, certain things in your life whether they be your physical skills, whether they be, you know, the timeline of your life, the fact that maybe you have commitments and children, the fact that you have, you know, a home and a community start to make your world a little bit smaller. Uh, in, well, they become in ter- part of your new average. Like, well, like paying for a house at 22 is not something you did. Well, you it's hard. Know. It's harder to expand out of it, though. Possibly. And the reason I say that is, this is the part that we've got to recognize. This is why it was hard to get a book done Mm -hmm. because there's carnage anytime you change. Am I correct? So if you really wanted to be a professional athlete, I'm not saying you can't, you could take major steps, change your entire life trajectory and get a hell of a lot closer than you currently are. If it really matters. (laughs) Am I correct about that? Uh, yeah, but I'd still be pretty far away, Michael. Well, but back surgery three times, and you know, I'll be, just so anyway. Go on. I, you understand yeah, the concept? No, I what do. I'm saying is, sure, you can become carnage, better. There's carnage right. involved, and what most people don't recognize is our attachments. Things we get attached to become part of our average. It's like this is what we do. So we build the life we have. So when I talk about in the book, we have a box: what we want, what we don't want. It's like remember when we used to go to dinner, people? Remember dinner? We would talk about what we want and what we don't want. Every morning you wake up, you have an identity and people in your life that remind you who you are and ones that encourage you and ones that piss you off. Every one of us have it. So we got people, 
an identity. We've got what we want and what we don't want. And we live our whole life keeping that happy. And that's what we wake up and do every day. We don't do anything outside of that. That is what human beings do. You wake up, you look in the mirror. I'm a doctor. What do I do? I go to the office. I do my thing every day. These people like me. These people don't like me. These people encourage me. These people piss me off. One day I'll get there and I'll never go back there. And that's everyone's life unless you don't want it to be. Right. But, the, you know, I think you call it the, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's this concept that you say comfortably numb or, yep. or whatever in, in, in your book, whereas like, again, you do have these these hurdles. If you are, as you stated, you know, you're a physician making a half million, eight hundred thousand dollars a year and you got the house and the picket fence with kids and stuff making those decisions to change into something that you currently are not may, mm-hmm. which may include not practicing and not getting that check mm-hmm. anymore are a mm-hmm. lot harder than they are for like a, you know, tw- you know, for that a 25 year old kid who's got no money and no kids and no responsibility to begin with. I don't think they're harder. They're different. And the reason I'm saying that is it's still the same decision. If you take the emotion out of it, it's still the same decision. It's if you want that. Right. And that's the thing we've got to ask. Nobody's asking people to drop everything. And I think that's where the black and white thing people what comes into people like, Oh, I got to drop everything I'm currently doing to go change and go be a rock star. Mm-hmm. No, but if you did want to learn how to play the guitar, there's nothing wrong with that, but your current life doesn't allow you to do that. So if you want to learn how to play, that's a whole nother story. So at the end of the day, it's really, what do you want? And here's the question. If your life isn't working and you're 46 years old and you have $3 million a year you're making, but your life isn't working. Mm-hmm. That's average. That's average. And I'm sorry. No, you're, you're right. You are no better off than the broke 25 year old. You're actually, all you got is some toys. So yeah. the question is, we are going to die one day. Everyone's worried about Corona. I'm more concerned with birth. Birth is your guaranteed death. Do you understand? Like you're going to die because you were born, you're going to die. So the reason I'm saying that is we only get one of these things this way. Question is, what do you want to do with it? And is the life that you're going to live over the next couple of years, it's automatic. This is the crazy part, Buck. Do you know that most people listening to this, if you sat on your ass for eight months, did nothing, sat on your ass, did nothing for eight months, you are so good at what you do in the last four months of the year. You'd make up the money. You'd figure it out. You would do it. And at the end of the year, you'd wind up about where you were last year. Everybody does. I have no yeah. idea why. We have this automatic programming that we do. We make up for it. I have no yeah. idea. You have a bad summer. You make up for it in the winter. Just what we do. Yeah, I've, I've called that the wealth thermostat. I like and it. You're kind of already, you're always set at a thermostat unless you make active measures to try to get your brain uh, to, to, you know, be somewhere where, uh, it's not used to being, you know, yep. um, you know, for somebody who's for your body and your relationship and everything else. Yeah. Right. I, I can, uh, I can vouch on the, on the, on the money side. I don't, I don't know the body stuff and all that. If I, you look at your body, most people don't recognize if they look at a three-year window, they weigh about the same. There's, it's like, you know, you look at your bank account or you get your investment. I get my portfolio sheets from the investments, the hedge funds, everything. I get these, these, things that come in the mail, like this big, these bricks. And I look at them and there's an average daily balance. There's an average daily return. (laughs) And it's not changing because you're not investing with investor club. (laughs) You get the concept. What I'm saying is they, they, they invest. And and just like you, there's, there's a number that you offer people that is about the same that grows. If it's 10%, 7%, Mm. 15%, 32%, whatever it is, it grows at a, at a rate. And that's what people don't recognize. Like everything here, your body is about the same weight in about a three year period on average. Okay. So 
how do we change that? I think you have this concept, which I think is an interesting one, because, again, just for clarity, I think this is important to understand. And I think Michael's point about the black and white is really important to take away from this show is that you may be mostly happy with where you are and you you may just be like, gosh, you know, I just really wish I had learned this language or I really wish, you know, I had you know, this other skill set or this hobby, or I was good at that. And it may be incremental things that can actually, uh, uh, you know, make you, uh, make your life less average and suck less. Yep. So you have this concept called minimum action progress plan. What is that? So against everything that the whole personal development room room pitches, I'm a, I'm one of these guys, I don't know about you and I can't speak for everybody listening. I just can only speak for the people I've questioned is most people, they can go about 90 days and they burn out with anything. Like they can go hardcore, give it everything they got 90 days, six months, and they need a little bit of a break. Massive action gets you to burn out. So minimum action progress plan is about how I I studied this. I had a client that was going to be in that movie 300. Do you remember that Spartan movie back in the day Mm. with the gladiators? Mm -hmm. Um, It was back in the early 2005. I've been doing this forever. And I'm not some guy that decided to be a coach. I've been, I've been doing this pre MySpace, pre Facebook, pre Twitter. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this so long that uh, 23 years old, 20 years. 17 years. Um, and what I said to the guys, we got to figure out what your, what your standard is, what your average is, like what you're comfortable with. So in your world, it would be, what can you invest every single month automatically without harming your life? Like what, what is the dollar that you literally could spit out every month out of your economics in invest? That would be for that. So for your health, like how many good meals do you eat a week? How many times do you exercise without even pushing or trying? What do you do automatically? So the minimum action progress plan is about finding out what your standard, finding out what your literal average is and upping that by 20%. Most people don't want to go like a thousand percent from where they're at, not working out to working out. What is your automatic and how do you grow about 15 or 20% from there? Because your whole life changes. And part of that is, is simple, like changing your language. Like why people don't play the guitar is they'd like to. It isn't necessary to them. It isn't something that's super important to them. It isn't something that lights them up inside. The way they talk about it with themselves, their average communication about it is, oh, it'd be nice to have, it would be great, but they're not really serious about it. So if playing the guitar was necessary, and not playing it was a horrible example to your children because you're basically saying, hey, listen, live half your life. Don't do the things you love. Just make money. You're kind of a bad parent. But I play the guitar because it's a good influence for my kids. I want to show them what's possible. And if I don't do it, um, I'm just not going to enjoy my life. It changes things. So the minimum action progress plan is about taking about a two to three week period and finding out what you do automatically not what you wish you did, not how hard you can push yourself, what you do automatically. And once you find it out for yourself, you're going to realize you probably only need to grow 10 or 15% from there. That's, that's the fascinating part. That's where investing comes in. This is exponential growth stuff. Yeah. You know, I think the other, the other thing to point out is I think that, um, that to me, what I, what I found in, in, in life too, is, is having, some goals that you're working towards constantly is yep. important. It's like, it's not just about getting there because invariably you get there and you're like, okay, now I'm at the top and it looks nice from up here. Now what? And, and it's really about just constantly growing and it's not just about making more money. It's about, you know, doing, learning other things and exploring other things and, you know, getting other skills and, 
all this stuff. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's really, really critical, at least in my world. I just feel like, you know, uh, you know, I am, uh, you know, you know, I'm sort of in an unusual uh, place in my life too, where I'm starting to, you know, want, you know, uh, I've been sitting behind this mic for a long time doing things behind and, trying to figure out like, you know, what can I do locally also just for some more interactions, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I, I think that there's, it's important to recognize and not feel trapped. I mean, I actually literally talk, talked to a friend of mine who's very successful. Um, this was just a few weeks ago, happily married, does really well. And he said, you know, um, it, it's weird because I feel like I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. How old is he? Well, he's like, he's in his fifties, maybe 52, 53, but he didn't mean it in like a terribly negative or a terribly positive way. It was just sort of like, this is, this is what it is. (laughs) And, and and it's like, um, we all kind of get there. I guess we call it the midlife crisis sometimes, but, um, uh, or maybe it's not a crisis. Maybe it's a, just a midlife, uh, admission, you know, I don't know. I, I got a thought for that. So th- this is fascinating. So I, I like totally go against most of the personal development world when I say yeah. this is that um, this is, this is interesting with what you said. So anytime you go for more, you get a, you go online you're late at night, you want to get in better shape because you're going on a trip. You want to get beach body, go get insanity. We've all, we've all bought a video or something in our lives or investment program or something. So whatever you believe in, in life, biology gives you about a seven day head start of dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin to get your body going, to give you a head start. So you get excited about something, right? And then the mundane kicks in. This is what most people don't recognize. Like you could be running a hedge fund. Like I got a guy I play hockey with billions of dollars. This guy, this guy does. And, and one of the things, getting a little feedback. Are you getting that too? Mm. Um, no okay. feedback. We're getting. That's okay. um, and one of the things that he said is the one of the things he said is that you got to deal with the mundane. So you get excited for about seven days, then the mundane kicks in. And what most people do when the mundane kicks in is, you know what they do is they rush back. They want to do something else exciting and they switch. Now they go from, I'm going to go from futures to now that I'm going to go do, I'm going to start shorting things. Then I'm going to go, I'm going to get into gold or we switch. And the goal is at the end of the rainbow and it's over here. It's past the mundane. What most people do not recognize in their lives is that when they, do the mundane long enough, they're going to get what they want. But when you finally get what you want, it's not as exciting as it was thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So most people think they got to like, they have like this line they've got to get to. One of the greatest realizations people can get is it's a circle. It goes exciting, mundane, get your goal. Exciting, mundane, get your goal. And most people don't realize that the reason it's not so exciting when you finally get it long-term is if it was, there'd be no progress in this world. So the way it's set up is, you're going to get more happiness wishing and hoping than you are in achieving. And that's just the way life works. So a kid wins the Super Bowl. A kid wants to win the Super Bowl for 35 years, finally catches the ball in the Super Bowl, runs it in, champagne in the locker room. Next day, hey, I'm going to Disneyland by Thursday. I'm not saying he's depressed, but he's like, what's next? The reason why he's got to be that way is in life, you're not supposed to stop at your goals. You've got to keep going. Yeah. And that's what most people miss is, it's a circle that once you get on it, the success thing that you've got to accept that once you get on it, it's there permanently. It's not about get somewhere and stop. It's about get somewhere and keep going, get somewhere and keep going. Yeah. It's a big realization. 
It reminds me, actually, Michael, I remember reading about uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and all those you know guys who landed on the moon in the 60s, mm-hmm. that all of them, when they came back, all kind of had a weird depression about them. Yep. Like, <laughs> now what? <laughs> you know, I went to the moon, you know, yep. now what? And so it kind of reminds me that way. But I think, again. Same concept. It, yeah, the same concept. So, well, listen, this has been fascinating. Um, the book, again, is Average Sucks. Can we get that everywhere? Everywhere on earth. Uh, if you go to averagesucks.com, it'll probably route you to Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Nobles, Canada, Amazon, International. You can go get it in Ibiza. It doesn't really matter. Have you Have you done Audible on that yet? Not yet. There's a you reason should. for that. You should. You're, you've got the voice for it, man. You know what's funny is I don't know what it is about you personal development guys, but you kind of sound like Tony Robbins, you know? You got that Tony thing going on. It's maybe the size. I don't know. Maybe we use our voice so much we get the we burn out our, our vo- vocal cords or whatever it is over the years. But, yeah, yeah I, um, we're going to have an audible eventually. I wrote it. If you study my background with NLP and my human interaction technology, I wrote it in a way that when you read it, it goes directly into your unconscious mind. So I can do that auditorily, but it's written in a way that you're going to swear I was talking, I was whispering the book in your ear. Sure. So it's really a fascinating study, the book, and it's written for entrepreneurs with ADD that you'll finish it in two hours. Good. means it must be really short too then. Right? Uh, a couple just hundred kidding. pages, but kidding. it's very well written. Kidding. Yeah, good. And and so, and you're giving away a bunch of stuff. And I think this yep. is a good opportunity for listeners who are, maybe a little inspired or intrigued by, you know, the types of things we're talking about here. Tell me, tell us about it. Yeah. When Corona hit, you know, my wife and I, because when 08 and 09 hit, we said never again, we're like, what do we do? We don't have anything to do if we can't do events. So um, we can either take the next 10 years off because we can afford to do that, which I'm very proud of, or we can help as many people as we can. So over the last four or five months, we've been giving away one of our programs. So people say, Hey, Michael, what, where can I go check you out? Just come work with me. I came out of digital retirement for, I'm giving away a five day class, couple hours a day for five days over the phone, no zoom, no makeup required, wear your underwear. I don't care, but it's five days kicking your butt, holding your hand. And I don't care if you're a billionaire. I don't care if you're a startup business. I don't care if you're a doctor. I've had about 500 medical professionals, everything from Cairo to functional medicine to neurosurgeons taking the class. I don't know if that's a line that they go in. Hmm. Um, one of the biggest famous gynecologists in the world just took the class. Hmm. And so it's five days showing you how to get yourself the psychological triggers to get yourself out of your comfort zone and get where you want to go. And it, just go to uh, calltoactiontime.com. And as of now, we're giving it away for free. And it's a $600 program, a couple hours a day. And um, you just spend some time with me. And if you're serious, take it. But I will tell you, if you're a medical professional, appreciate what I'm going to say. We're in triage mode right now. So we only can help who's really serious. So if you're not serious, please don't sign up and check it out. If you're real serious, calltoactiontime.com. But if you're on this podcast, you got to be a serious lady or dude or something. So call to action time.com, check it out and let's see if we can help you out and uh, see if you got the courage to spend five days with a Jersey boy. That's going to kick your butt. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Uh, it's great having you on back on the show and uh, we'll do it again with the, uh, you know, there's just so much to talk about. And I, I do think that this kind of stuff is very useful uh, you know, for, for my audience, because they are, you know, successful individuals. Sometimes it's, um, it's, it's, it's important to stop and think about where you are and all that stuff. So, so thanks again, uh, Michael, and, uh, we will be right back.
Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. You know, we have to do these touchy-feely shows once in a while. I think it's good for everyone. Uh, one thing I would love to get from you, well, two things, actually. One, I want you to, if you think it's, uh, you know, if I deserve it, give me a five-star review. All you have to do is, if you know how to go to iTunes and do that, then great. But we've made it really easy. If you go to wealthformula.com, you can just go to give us a five-star review. Go ahead and click on that, and I'll take you through to the page, and you can write your comments, etc. That stuff's really important and useful uh, for rankings in in the podcast world, and rankings help us to get you know good good audiences, and bigger audiences, and also uh, that allows us to get more you know high-caliber people on the show. I mean, obviously, we have some really high-caliber people on all the time. We want to keep it that way, though. We've got, you know, people like Michael, people like Robert Kiyosaki was on recently, you know, Tom Wheelwright, all those guys. So anyway, if you can do that for me, I would greatly appreciate it. Now, the other question I have, if you are still listening, which, you know, sometimes people just kind of hang up the phone by now, but here's the other question I have for you. Do these kinds of shows get you excited? Do you like these kinds of shows? Uh, one of the things I have contemplated is potentially to do another uh, type of podcast that is focused more on these, uh, you know, self-help, self-personal development type things. Um, you know, I find that the audience, you, uh, tends to react to them very, very well. And I don't you know, so it, it may be something that we could do more of, but I don't know that I would put it necessarily on this podcast. I would probably do a separate podcast that's focusing on that kind of stuff. Anyway, let me know what you think. Shoot me an email, bucketwealthformula.com. And that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.